0: Great, welcome. Hello, I'm Matt, married to Joe, who was leading us in worship a little bit earlier on. We have four four daughters, and we had a lovely afternoon uh, running around causing mayhem. But we're here now. Right, good. Um, a very warm welcome to you guys, particularly, as Tom said, if, you're, if this is your first time here with us. We're really grateful that you could make it. Uh, We hope that you feel, you might not feel at home here, but we hope that you don't feel completely terrified. Uh, And if you do, just come and talk to us and say, what on earth was that about, or what's going on, or what was wrong with that guy's crazy Canadian beards? If you've got any questions at all, just please come and talk to us at the end. Uh, we're, always, we're, 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 we're always really open and we want to hear what you guys have to say. So if there's anything that you think, I just didn't understand that, or is that in the Bible? Or what is the Bible? Come and ask us. We'd love to talk about it. If you do have a Bible, if you want to turn to John chapter 17, um, it will appear as if by magic on the screens behind us in a moment. We're gonna read five verses from verse six to verse 10. Um, So let me read that now and then I will pray. Here we go. This is, John 17 is a prayer that is documented written down of Jesus praying. So this is Jesus in prayer. It says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your words. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me, and I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them." Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that we're your people, that we've been given to you, that we were brought with a price. We thank you so much, and it's a great mystery that sometimes we don't understand, sometimes we don't know how it works or what it means, but we want to take hold of that truth, Jesus, that we belong to you. As individuals, as a people, your church, we belong to you, Jesus. That's the greatest privilege anyone could ever have, to know you, to be part of your family, to be found in you, to be chosen, to be one of your people. We thank you so much. We pray as we look at this this evening that you would speak right into our hearts, that you would speak grace and love and life to all of us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. We've been working through a series, it's actually only part two uh, on John 17 which is called Future Church. Uh, And week one we were talking about knowledge, uh, what it is to be a church that knows God not just knows God intellectually, not just knows God as in what's written down in the Bible, but a church that is able to know God, have relationship with the living God and what that means for us as a church. And then this week we're talking about it, what what it means to be a church that is on a mission, that is completing Jesus' mission, that is working out his plans and purposes. And then over the next couple of weeks we'll look at a couple of other themes that come up as we go along. But one of the key questions in this passage is, Jesus has this weird phrase, which I think we should probably look at straight away, where Jesus says, I am praying for them, and I'm not praying for the world. He seems very clear about that. He's saying, I'm praying for these people, but I'm not praying for the world which seems like oh, this just seems like an unusual thing for Jesus to say. Surely Jesus is praying for everybody. Surely we're all on, on the whole of creation is something that's on Jesus' heart and he should be, he, she should be praying for us, but that's, that's not what it says. He says, I'm praying for them. So who's he talking about and what does this mean? Well, I guess you know, there are other passages in the Bible where we do find Jesus praying, not just for those who'd be believers Even when Jesus is on the cross at Calvary, he prays for those people that have nailed him to the cross. Of course, Jesus was concerned about the fate of people's souls. He's concerned about all of us in all sorts of different ways. But here, he's praying for his disciples. And as well, as we go on to find later in the chapter, Jesus is actually praying for us what makes John 17 such a remarkable book in the bible we get to kind of look in we get this secret kind of window into jesus' prayer life you know the most intimate thing you can do is pray to the living god in uh, in jesus how jesus teaches us to pray in Matthew 6 jesus teaches us to come and pray to our father and prayer is supposed to be like that it's this wonderful intimate thing that we get to do, we get to have communion with the living God. And in John 17, we get to see Jesus doing exactly that, coming and talking to his Father, God the Father, God the Son, in conversation with God the Father. And we get to kind of peer in, we get to look in and think, ah, what's going on here? And the most magnificent thing, or one of the most magnificent things is that Jesus is praying for us. He's praying for his people, And there's this theme that goes all the way through the Bible, that there's a people that God has called out for himself, a people that God has called to be his people, his chosen people. We see that all the way through the Old Testament, we see God calling out a people, the people of Israel, his people to work out his plans. And in the New Testament, under the New Covenant, we see God calling out another people, the church, us, to be his chosen people, to be the people that he particularly wants to bless and use the church, the people of God, to bless the whole earth. And that's what we're gonna, we're gonna look at. And Jesus, in particular, is praying for his disciples, and he's particularly praying for us for, for two reasons. Firstly, because we've been sent. We've got this conference coming up in a few weeks called Sent because we believe we've been sent by Jesus. And not only have we been sent, but the second reason that Jesus is praying for them is because we've also been given. We've been given to God. And those two words we're going to look at, we're going to look at what it means to be sent by Jesus and what it means for us to be given to him. And first of all, the the church exists, the people of God, the church exists as a sent Community. We're sent by God. The words that the New Testament would have used originally for, to, to, to describe the church was the word ecclesia. And ecclesia literally means people have been called out, called out from their homes, called out from, from, from their kind of inside existence, called out into the purposes of God, called out into his plans. And right from the very start, if you read the book of Acts, the book of Acts is this wonderful story of how the first churches got started, about how the apostle Paul and the Peter and the other disciples, they, they took Jesus' great commission where Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. And they started planting churches all over the Middle East. That's just what they did in the Middle East and Europe. They just went on starting new communities, starting new churches. But that was, they, they didn't think, oh, well, we're the church, we're God's people, let's just hide away let's just enjoy what we have, but let's just bolt the doors, let's just band down the hatches, it's just us here, let's just keep safe. The world's a dangerous place, let's just keep safe. They did the exact opposite. They said, we've discovered this wonderful good news, the message of Jesus Christ. And it wasn't even something they had to think about, they were like, well we must take this message. And God fills them with his Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and the church get started but right from the very start the church is here for mission to complete God's work and that means that you guys are all involved in that we can never say well that was just for them that's just for some special people we're all called actually to to be a blessing to the world around us we're all called actually to be missionaries it's not just a missionary isn't just someone that goes to another country missionaries do do that but a missionary can be someone who lives in their hometown their entire life, but is all the time is telling people around them with their words, with how they live their life, how they conduct themselves. All the time they're showing the love of Jesus to people around them. And that's what it can be to be a missionary. So we're we're a people who are who are a sent community. And the church also exists as an incarnational people, which might sound a bit of a funny word to you, what does that mean? But when what happens is when we, we, we're seeing the life of Jesus, Jesus was uh, uh, incarnated. That means God became man. Jesus was still fully God, but yet he came as Philippians 2 describes and he became one of us. He took on flesh and blood. You could go and pinch him, you could shake his hand You could give him a hug. Jesus wasn't just some kind of ghost wandering around, just this mysterious deity. Jesus was fully man and yet fully God. He was sent down to become like us, to live the perfect life, to rescue us. And as he's talking about in this passage, he was sent. And At the same time, he talks about us being sent. It says here in John 17 verse eight, And they have believed that you sent me, that Jesus was sent by God the Father. And then 17 verse 18, as you sent me into the world, this is Jesus talking to his Father, as you sent me, so I have sent them. Each and every one of us. In the same way that Jesus was incarnated and sent to us, each one of us is sent into the world around us. As a people together, as the church together, we're sent to reach this city for you in in wherever God's placed you. You're sent to reach the people around you. Now, what we're gonna do is we're gonna gonna rush through and we're gonna look at a few things in particular that God has sent us to do, uh, and then we'll move on to some other things as we go along. So first of all, we've been sent to be witnesses, to witness. It says again in, in verse eight, for I have given them the words that you gave me and they've received them and have come to know in truth. That's one of the ways that Jesus was sent to the people around him is that he used words. He went and told people. He, d- he didn't just, sometimes we can think, well, I just need to, I don't need to actually tell anybody I'm a Christian. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need, people don't need to, I don't need to tell them, do I? I can just sort of, as long as I'm nice to people, then sooner or later they'll pick it up actually it's appropriate not all the time you'd have to go and shout in people's faces but when someone says to you tomorrow what did you what did you do on Sunday you can tell them you can tell them that you came here you can tell them that you come to church you can tell them why you don't have to but that might be a great opportunity it's a good uh, for us it's an instruction for us to to bear witness to what we've come to know to tell people so we're sent to be witnesses we're also sent to display as well as using words we get to live out uh, um, and we get to, to give an example. In John 13, this is such a wonderful verse. It says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's a great encouragement to any church, but for us here, people will know that we're Christians, that we believe in Jesus if we, if we love one another. People will watch you They'll see how you, particularly after you said, I'm a Christian, you've laid out what you stand for, and then people will, will watch you and they'll try and decide, is, is he for real? What does this actually mean? They might, not, they might not have, even in this city, it might be quite common for them to have never met a Christian before. You might be the only Christian they've ever met or the only person that's actually ever said that they're a Christian. And then they'll watch you, they'll observe you, and they'll be thinking, what does, this, what does this mean? And the wonderful thing is that if Jesus is real to you, if you've discovered him, you don't actually have to sort of put on a performance. I'm not saying that we should go and just put on some act, pretend to be something that we're not, but just by living out the grace that God's put in you, you'll suddenly, without even realizing it, you'll suddenly start to shape people, influence people. People will begin to know, so oh, wow, there is something different about you? Why do you do things in a certain way? Why do you always talk about people and you never gossip? You always talk about people with such love and affection. What's that about? Why, you, why do you seem so positive about things? What's going on? Are you just a positive person? And then sooner or later, they start putting the pieces of the jigsaw together and they'll notice different things about you and they'll think, goodness, th- these people are actually quite remarkable. There is something different about them and it might take, it might take years It might take years, Joe and I have had friends that we've invested in, sometimes over years and years and years and little by little they begin to build up this picture of who we are and what we're like and they see the bad bits as well as the good bits, they see the ups and they see the downs but they see how you handle life as it comes and we've seen people that over, sometimes even as long as a decade have come to faith in Jesus Christ just because they've observed and seen something and we've told a story of our lives and that's been able to impact them. The next one, we've been sent not just to witness and to display but to a particular place, to a particular city. You might think that's obvious. Well, of course, because you know I'm here. But we have been sent to a... It's not just we've been sent in general. God has picked you out and chosen you particularly to come here to this city, if this is your home anyway. God's called you out and said, I want you to go here. I want you to live on a particular street. I want you to live in this house with these people or next door to these people. I want you to go to an office and be around certain people. God's chosen that for you. It's not, it's not. You might think, oh, I just don't like my job. You know, this is just a temporary thing. I'm just here for a while. And that might be true, but while you're there, God's put you there, and God's decided, he's, God's not like, oh, I can't, he's just gonna have to hang around there because I can't find anything better for him. God's put you there for a purpose right now, to serve, to love, to reach the people around you. And part of that means is that we we kind of have a responsibility to to learn our city, to learn about Amsterdam, to learn how people think here. Because the thing is, you'll notice that uh, if you know, I noticed from moving here three years ago that people here, in general, uh, are different from the people that where I came from. There are some similarities, but there are some differences as well. The way people think, the way people make decisions, the way people do certain things, the way people uh, uh, kind of walk through certain obstacles. People just approach life in a slightly different way. They think in a slightly different way. They have a different kind of worldview, and. Well, that's true not just of from here to England, where we came from, but from here to Utrecht or The Hague, people will think slightly differently here. There's a unique flavor about this city, not because this city is anything particularly special, although I do think it's quite a special city, but for anywhere you went, there'd be a particular flavor about that place. And it's up to us to kind of learn how that works, to learn how this city ticks to kind of learn almost how to crack the code. If I'm gonna share Jesus with people, I need to figure out what's gonna work here. Because there'll be some things which I'll just think, what are you talking about? Which might work somewhere else. But it's about learning what's gonna help us to communicate the message of Jesus here. And I love it when I talk to people in our community who've really thought this through. So like a Rich Armstrong, he's thinking, how do I reach creative people in this city? And he's signed up to kind of meetups and things, and he's trying to figure out ways. How do, how do I reach people like that? Or well, Derek Bass, who takes his family along to play baseball, what do what the Dutch call baseball? Honkball, brilliant word. <laughs> but he's like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna learn out how to reach these people. I'm gonna figure out that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna devote this part of my life to serving and loving these people. I love it when I talk to different people in our community and they've been thinking that. Okay, who's God put in my way? Who's God picked out for me to reach? What can I do to help communicate Jesus to them? So we're sent to a particular place and also we're sent to to remain. We're sent to remain, says in John 15. Again, this is Jesus talking, you did not, choose me, he's talking to his disciples, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, your fruit should remain, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. It's God's plan, it's his purpose, that this church, our lives, we're not just here for a kind of a quick hit and then disappear. God wants to build something that really lasts in this city, something that really has an impact here. I came across a a speech recently, which was actually given in in 1971, so it's quite old, but there was a writer who was a poet and an author called Pablo Nerado. He was from Chile, and he went to pick up his Nobel Prize for Literature and at the kind of ceremony, the Nobel Prize ceremony, he gave this wonderful speech, and he finished it by, by saying this. He said, lastly, I wish to say to the people of goodwill, to the workers, to the poets, that the f- whole future has been expressed in this line by, by Rimbaud, who was a French poet. He says, only with a burning patience can we conquer the splendid city which will give light, justice, and dignity to all mankind." Although he wasn't a believer in Jesus as far as I know, he had this passion that actually the world could be transformed by people in in cities where millions of people are all kind of gathered together and living lives on top of each other. And particularly in his nation where he came from, there was such mess and destruction in the cities there. He had this passion that if we can rebuild cities, we could help rebuild people's lives. We could help bring change. We could help bring justice, light, and dignity. But in that line that he he quoted, he said, only with a burning patience. Only with a burning patience. I think that's such a helpful way of looking at it. That's why I quoted him. Because sometimes that's what we need. We need just some patience. We just need to think. Do you know what? I'm just gonna. I'm gonna be here for the long haul, and that won't be for all of us. Some of us, God will speak to us and say, "I've got a, a new assignment for you. I've got a new task for you. There's something new. I'm gonna send you to a new place, and we'll applaud that and we'll get behind that. But for many of us, it, you know, I, my hope is that we, we'll stay here, because if you really want to change someone's life, or if you want to change the life of a whole community. You can't just go in for a kind of an attack and then disappear. You need some stability. I know a bunch of the the women here went, a few of you went back to a women's conference in England last weekend, and Leah was sharing a story in the week about how one of the ladies in in a panel uh, was discussing a lady from, from the church where we came from in Brighton. And she was telling this story about how she'd been part of that church for 40 years. And she was just telling about all the remarkable things that she'd seen happen in 40 years. And, and Leah shared that, and I thought, that's so brilliant. Man, I hope we have people that are still here in 40 years' time, <laughs> and we can you know, sit in our armchairs, have a whiskey, and you know, a cigar, <laughs> choking back, and just share some stories of what God's done. Wouldn't that be amazing? If some of us could still be here in 40 years, and to be honest, if we're really gonna build something in this city that lasts that really changes people's lives, then we need that stability. We need people who say, I'm, I'm, I'm here until God says otherwise, and I hope that he doesn't say otherwise. I'm here, I'm here until the grave takes me. We're gonna stay here and we're gonna build something that lasts, that has stability. And you might think, well, it just feels so uncomfortable here and, and you know, maybe you're just new here and you think, I don't really like the people in this church or this church just isn't really, they don't really seem to believe in the things that I want to believe in. They're not passionate about the things. You might have particular things even that you feel God's called you to do that we're not doing as a church or particular people that you want to reach. You think, I don't know how it's going to happen here. Well, I guess I'd say just stick around and see what happens. Just stick around. And just serve. And sometimes you just you need to take those dreams and desires and just give them to God and say, I'll just I'll trust you for them, but I'm just going to get involved and going to serve here. And then sometimes you find that God takes those things and He brings them back to you in the future when perhaps maybe you are more ready for it. But I say just stick around and see what happens. And as I said right at the start, you know, for some of you, it might be your first time here. And we want you to feel at home, but you might not feel at home yet. That's okay, but we're trying to build a real family here, a community, and we want it to be a big community, but always a community. And we wanna welcome you into that and say, just come and be at home amongst us. Come and get to know us, come and share a meal with us, and then stick around and see what happens here, see what God will do. Then the next one we're sent to to kind of gather and scatter. Joel was talking about this, I don't know if you were here a few weeks ago. Uh, Joel Virgo, who was here from Brighton, he was talking about why we gather together as a church. Like when we do this, why we gather together, why we worship God together and what that means. And that's so important. But we're also meant to kind of scatter out into the city to take God's blessing. Isn't church, being a Christian, but this community isn't about this kind of hour and a half on a Sunday or another hour and a half on a Tuesday night or whenever it is. I hope you guys all know that already. I'm sure you do. This is about everything. This is about your whole life. And we're sent to, to kind of gather here and then scatter out into our city to take the message of Jesus with us. And then the last one here, we're... I guess you could sum up a lot of what I'm saying with this phrase from the book of Jeremiah where it talks about seeking the peace of the city. In Jeremiah 29, he puts it like this. He uses the word welfare. He says, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. The people of God were sent into exile in Babylonia and were trying to work out their faith in a hostile environment. And their encouragement was to seek the welfare of the city pray to the lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare and uh, that, that passage has a bunch of different meanings but it's helpful for us to take from that a sense of it's so good for us to seek the seek blessing on amsterdam to seek the peace of the city to seek its welfare to not just kind of live as a holy huddle kind of tucked away but to say well, no, we're gonna live here as a blessing to our city. We're gonna pray for it, we're gonna serve it, we're gonna love it, we're gonna seek blessing here. You know, we've got, there's an election coming up in this nation in, in just a few days' time. You know, the the, the the Netherlands has been in the press a lot internationally the last few weeks talking about that, even this weekend with accusations flying forth between the president of Turkey and the Dutch, and it's like, what? It's, and, I was reading it all, trying to make sense of it all, and thinking, oh, I just remembered this, and I thought, well, I'm just gonna pray. <laughs> Sometimes that's all we can do. That's the best thing we can do, really. Yeah. The Bible tells us that, to pray for our rulers. We can pray for this city, pray for its blessing, pray for the peace to come here, the peace of God to come. So as, as I said, we've been sent to this city, sent by Jesus, who himself was sent, but we've also been given to the sent one. We've been given to Jesus. That's perhaps the most remarkable thing really. That's what makes the church, us, the people of God, so remarkable. Because we could do all these things that I've been talking about. We We could be a blessing to our city, we could build a wonderful, nice, warm, friendly community. But loads of people could do that. Loads of groups could do that. But there is something that makes us different. Not just us, but other churches in this city as well. There's something that makes us different from any other kind of community group or organization. And it's this, it's we belong to Jesus Christ. We belong to him. It says here in, in 1 Corinthians, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? And there's a wonderful verse, verse 20 you are not your own. (laughs) For some of you that might almost sound a bit offensive, like hold on a second, I'm not my own. It says you are not your own, for you were brought with a price, so glorify God in your body. And for for many in our kind of Western 21st century mindset, in a way that verse should offend you a little bit, because you know I stand for my rights as an individual. Some of you might think, I need to fight for my rights for, to, to, to be who I am. But Jesus says, you're not anymore. You're not your own. you were brought with a price. It so says this in Acts chapter 20. It says, uh, pay careful attention. This is uh, uh, the instructing kind of leaders within a church context. It says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, the people of God, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Not just us as individuals, but as a church, as a people, we were brought with a price, we were obtained, and that price price was the blood of Jesus. He paid a price for you. He won you into, into a relationship with him. And that offends us because we live in an age where it's all about choice and preference, right? All the time, it's about choice and preference. How we consume things, how we make sense of the world. It's like, what do we want? What, what am I gonna choose? What do I prefer? And, and, and that may be even how you make a decision about what sort of church you go to or what, what meal you're gonna have, what job you want, what sort of life you wanna lead, is what do I want, what do I prefer, what's on my menu. But the thing is, the remarkable thing is, this is completely reversed around now. This is made totally void because you were chosen, you were Jesus' choice, his preference, but not because you were preferable. He chose you, he preferred you, but could nothing was any merit in you. Whereas we choose things for us, because they have some merit for us, because I'm gonna choose that because that's gonna do me good. I choose that because that's a nice shiny thing. I like that. Jesus chose us and there was nothing desirable about us. He chose you in your worst, darkest, bleakest moments, in the moments you don't want anybody to know about. Jesus saw those moments and he chose you. He paid a price for you. He obtained you by his blood, he won you. So any, any idea of us having any sort of choice or preference is kind of made void, it's kind of just wiped out because we've been chosen by God despite having no merit in ourselves. And this, when it comes to what we've been talking about, being kind of uh, uh, sent to our city, it means that we're more than an, an advocate. We're, we're a witness, not an advocate. Because an advocate will go into a, a you know, a, a court, maybe he's a lawyer, and he goes and, and argues the case of his client, and he might you argue it passionately, he might put up a good argument, and he might do a good job, but a witness can come into the court, and he knows something much deeper. He knows the person. There's something real to him. He's not just trying to present a good argument, and we're not just advocates who are just trying to explain something that we've read in a book. We're witnesses. We've come to know Jesus. We've come to know what it means for our lives. We've come to know his power in our life. We get to share in a completely different way. We get get to speak as those who belong to him. And you see it in, in Luke, it says in Luke 24, Jesus, talking to his disciples, he says, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Jesus is talking about the day of Pentecost. So he said to his people, you're going to be witnesses, but you need to wait. You need to wait. So in Jerusalem, they went and hid away and they prayed and the Holy Spirit came on them and gave them power. And that's, that's what makes you not an advocate, but a witness. It's not that you've just read about Jesus in a book, but he's as it was said earlier, we've become a temple of the Holy Spirit now. Jesus has come to through the Holy Spirit. God is living within us. And that means we're not just an advocate anymore. We get to be a witness of who he is, of how he's changed our life, of how he's turned our world completely upside down. And the, the wonderful thing is, this, all of this gives us this wonderful, rich sense of, belonging. I hope that you will feel that in your own relationship with God. I hope as well that you feel it or begin to feel it in this community, a sense of real deep, rich belonging. And that's such an important message that we can take to our, to our city and to those around us. Because actually many people are incredibly lonely in our city. That's a real epidemic in our society. It's just one of loneliness. And people might not look lonely, it might not be obvious to you, but it's, it's true. There was some research, even this week, that was talking about social media. And uh, they, they questioned about 2,000 people who were between the ages of 19 and 32, which is most of you in that room are within that age bracket. I'm not anymore, unfortunately. But that's what they were looking at. They questioned people kind of roughly our sort of age, your sort of age. Uh, And they were trying to find out the impact that social media had on their lives. And their main finding was actually that social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever, from these people that they questioned it, they actually discovered that it seems to make people feel lonelier. (laughs) And you think, hold on a second, but surely this means I'm communicating, I'm connecting with people. And it might give the effect of that initially. But over the long term, as they questioned these people, they found that actually it makes people feel lonelier. Trying to live your life from these kind of slightly real but unreal connections with people. Not I'm saying these things are bad. They can be brilliant tools that we can use. Uh, I find it so helpful. We live overseas from our family and we can connect with them in so many different ways. But it, w- it won't fulfill any sort of deep need inside of you. Not really. The professor, Brian... Uh, Premark, who did this research, he said, this is an important issue to study because mental health problems and social isolation are at epidemic levels among young adults. We are inherently social creatures, but modern life tends to compartmentalize us instead of bringing us together. While it may seem that social media presents Opportunities to fill that social void, this study suggests that it may not be the solution that people were hoping for. And that's just one example, but in so many different ways around us, we live in a world of lonely, broken people who don't really have any sense of community, don't really know any kind of real relationships, or if they do, it'll be just a few. And we get to invite people in to relationship with us, with a community where we do love and care for one another. But ultimately we get to invite people into a relationship with the living God. There's no better belonging that you can find them in Jesus Christ. That's the one that really fills people's needs. And let me finish by asking you a question. Because Jesus prays in this, he says, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you." He's saying that his disciples, they'd come to know by spending time with him, by getting to know Jesus, by hearing him do things like this, by hearing Jesus pray, they'd come to know. And my question is, have you come to know? Have you come to know Jesus? Have you come to know the difference it can make in your life? Because we don't wanna be, this, this church isn't, it's not just about entertainment, you come here and laugh, at us trying to make a FaceTime video happen. It's not just a kind of a, we don't want church to be just a spiritual hit. You kind of come along on a Sunday and you get your, oh, right, and then kind of back into the week, and then next week, come and get your spiritual hit again. It's such, so much deeper than that. It's about knowing Jesus. It's about finding your sense of belonging and identity and purpose in him. That's what we're offering here is an opportunity to belong not just in this family but to belong to Jesus Christ and hopefully that maybe this is the first time in your life that you ever really feel that you do truly belong and you might think well I'm just I'm just a misfit I'm just I'm just awkward I don't I don't fit in you might think if you just knew about my life if you just knew about who I really am the mistakes I've made, the things I've done or thought. Even this week, you might think, well, I can't belong because of this long list, this list that stands against me. You can think, because of all these reasons, I can't belong. I can't know God. Well, let me finish by telling you about a lady called Mary Magdalene. We can read about her. She's referenced in a couple of places in the Gospels, But she gets this wonderful privilege in John 20. It says this, this is after Jesus has died, he's been put in the tomb. It says, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. And she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. It's remarkable. Mary, Mary Magdalene, she's the one that discovers the empty tomb. She gets to discover that Jesus is risen. She's actually the first person after she actually meets Jesus. She's the first person. She goes to tell the disciples, and they don't believe her. She's the first person to meet Jesus. And this is so remarkable, because when we we first meet Mary Magdalene in the Bible, in Mark chapter 8, it says that she was possessed by seven demons. right, If you've got one demon, that's bad. Two, not good at all. Three, oh dear. Seven, that's a problem. And seven is a problem because the Bible often uses the number seven to to kind of illustrate the idea of completeness, wholeness. I don't know if that's what it's referring to in in, in Mark 8, but basically, Mary Magdalene was, she was crazy. (laughs) She was that lady that carries her cat in a bag and talks to it. You know, the sort of person that you cross the street, she had issues big time. She was a lunatic, basically. That's what it's trying to say. She had seven demons. She was far from normal. And yet... That's the sort of person that Jesus came for. And not only that, she gets this amazing privilege of being the person that discovers Jesus. Which, if you think about it, maybe if you're here and, and you think, "Oh, well, this is all just nonsense, this is, there are so many reasons why Christianity is false, why Jesus doesn't exist, or well, this is just pie in the sky, this is just you know a nice uh, placebo to make your lives better. The thing is that the, the big elephant in the room when it comes to those who oppose Christianity, is the resurrection. Because you could come up with all sorts of reasons and you could challenge Christianity in so many ways and you could read all of Richard Dawkins' books, but the one issue they can never quite get around is the resurrection, is the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And there is so much overwhelming truth, fact, that that happened, that Jesus is alive. And one, one really, really huge part of that is the fact that Mary Magdalene was the person that, that discovered the empty tomb and went and told the disciples. Because if, if, they, if this was just a fabrication, if this was just a story that they made up and wrote in the book, they wouldn't have picked, A, in that time, they wouldn't have picked a woman to do that. 2,000 years ago, that's not the sort of person they would have picked to prove that this happened. And they would have not have picked someone like Mary Magdalene, right? They just wouldn't. If the job was given to us, if we had to decide to who was going to find the empty tomb, we would think, oh, let's, let's pick that lunatic lady who had, who had seven demons in her. Let's pick her, the one who talks to her cat. She can go and find out. We wouldn't have done that. But that's the one that goes to discover the tomb. And this is the Bible trying to tell us to say something. It's trying to tell us that this happened, that Jesus is alive, and that he came for people just like this. And what happened is he came and he cast those demons out of Mary and turned her life completely upside down. And she becomes this beautiful kind of trophy of grace. And that can be true for you. God can come and turn your life completely upside down. It doesn't matter how much of a misfit you feel, how awkward, how out of place you feel. If God's grace can come to someone like that, it can come to you. It can change your life as well. All right, what we're gonna do is just to kind of help us respond is that Tom's going to come and read a poem to us and then I'll stand again and
1: lead us in communion. As Matt said, I'm going to read a a poem to you. This is called To Belong. This poem's about striving to belong outside of God. It's about trying to belong in the world. Let's take a man, let's take a man and hear his life unfold, let's make him young, his story not yet told, let's set him on his feet, let's have him stand with all the world before him none yet planned, let's give him breath, let's set his blood to beat and with that first feel set motion in his feet. Let's take a man and listen to his song, that from his lips comes youthful, sure and strong, He shouts at life he knows his place to find and rushes forward his eyes to all else blind and rushes forward and grasps his destiny, his work, his love, hope realised satisfactorily. And yet, somehow... No, no those things that glittered are found not gold, those things said home said life yet leave man cold, these things said satisfaction guaranteed now out of box turned over voided warranty, now man cannot return to youthful hope, now a new song rises in his throat, it comes from deep. It comes, he knows, he comes from, he knows not where, it drums and frobs and threatens to ensnare, all hope of hope, all hope of home, and then belonging seems to fade, not seen again, let's take a man, let's have him stand on brink, on point of giving up, on point of sink, yet somehow, no, quick. Strike up a chord, quick drown out the word and walk again life's path, stride unperturbed. Let grasping hands go out, grab what you can and find amongst life's jewels that place you planned. Find home, find rest just short way further on, just over next horizons where you belong. Life belongs to you and you to her keep steady on your way and do not turn about around keep pressing on that road your fates captain your king upon your throne you're sure this time you're certain of your way till trip till stumble and with it grey and stormy clouds clouds dark clouds black with them comes rain with them comes thunder sound with them comes pain man's dreams where have you gone? Where have you fled? Those drums replace that hammer out his dread. They say the words that frob and gush and wash away the last of hope that ever was. They tell him he is lost. They tell him home will not in this world be his own. They tell him to belong but say not how. They leave him light alone among the crowd. They leave him as a husk for wind to blow away. Forgotten of the paths he would follow and so to end let's take a man. Watch as life's last breath's lost. Now watch as he tots up the final cost and listen as the question in his mind trips trips off his lips. Was there one I did not find? One thing to have, to hold and to be held. In place belong, in peace to rest, to dwell. Was there one to call me, cause striving's end? Was there one to call one to defend me from the storm? One who shelters, who stands, one who stoops down and lifts with punctured hands. Did I lost man in that race that life became? Miss the one. And do I wish for life to begin again? To begin again.
0: Let's just, um, I'm just going to pray and then we're gonna share communion together. God, we we thank you for what you've done for us. That you looked at us in all of our mess and depravity, the mistakes we've made, the shame, the guilt, and you've loved us. This wonderful loving kindness that comes to us again and again that we can know this evening, afresh your grace and your mercy. God, and we wanna be as individuals, people that belong to you, that are yours. As a church, as a community, before anything else, for any kind of mission or adventure, we wanna say, no, we belong to Jesus. We thank you so much for what you've done for us, Jesus. God, I just pray for anyone here that, that doesn't know you, that wouldn't call themselves a a Christian, a follower of Jesus, or maybe they're just not sure where they are, I pray you just, by your grace, that you come and speak to them this evening. Help them to repent, which means to turn our backs, turn uh, away from the mistakes we've made, say sorry to Jesus, ask for his forgiveness, and then to put all our trust in him, all of it, say, God, I don't know what the future holds, but I want to trust in you. I want to follow you. I pray if there's anyone in the room that uh, doesn't know you, that you'd help them to be able to pray that to you, God. Amen.